a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. You ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Jeez. My my Jeremy can start. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Look, uh, (laughs) our next guest, just one of our favorite groups ever on the show. Um, Brand new record coming out on... um, June 17th, you can pre-order it now. Tastes like gold wherever you get your music. Also going to be hitting the road with a really cool band, Tuck Smith and Restless Hearts. Bunch of dates across the U.S. And, uh, geez, heading Cincinnati, Buffalo, New York, all the way through to Myrtle Beach. Hell, we're going to be hitting uh, South Jordan, Utah. Who even knew that was a place? Uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> Back to the show. Uh, Jeremy Popov and AJ Popov from Lit. How you doing, guys? What's up? Doing great. Hi, everybody. Bonjour. Bonjour. Um... Let's get right over here to uh, the new album, Taste Like Gold. I, the first thing I notice after listening to it is all the songs are two and a half to three and a half minutes, which I love. I mean, we love Supper's Ready by Genesis, but really, it would have been better at three minutes. Um, talk to me about <laughs> keeping them short and simple and get to the chorus, don't bore us. <clears throat> we always, we kind of run out of shit to say, come, you know, the two, <laughs> two and a half mark. <laughs> Just get in and get out, man. We, yeah, we don't like to, we don't like to bore people with, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's talk. You verse, couple verses, couple choruses, maybe a bridge if it makes it better. But after that, it's kind of like, I mean, unless, unless it's the Eagles new kid in town and you've got a modulation and a key change and a whole other part you want to bring in. It's like, we like to get in, get out, move on. Yeah. Let's work. Plus, why why not uh, get into a, a whole bridge and a whole extra stuff and throw in a drum solo and, have you have you ever thought of of doing like the ultimate twelve minute lit song? No, <laughs> we leave those to Iron Maiden. <laughs> but they're like, and and people have already have you know swiped to the next video before they get to the bridge, anyways, most likely. Right. Well, you know what? It's funny you say that because I was with a buddy of mine the other night. I was playing him like an old, um, like big hair ballad. And we were about like a minute and a half in, and my buddy was like, "Wow, this song's really long." Eh? And I'm like, "Well, it's only like 90 <laughs> seconds in. Like, what do you, we didn't even get to the to the guitar solo yet. Like, people's attention spans are so short these days that it kind of makes sense to, you know, have the, get don't bore us, get to the chorus. You know, I mean, they used to have those those in the 70s and 80s, those really long album tracks, and DJs would put them on so they could go out and you know take a shit and have a cigarette. You know, yeah. And, um, and it was like the twelve minute, you know, break break time song. But um, yeah, put on stranglehold, be able to run to the bathroom, like <laughs> put on supper's yeah. ready and leave for a half an hour. What is um, it with you and supper's ready these days? You're loving that. It's like your um, favorite um, thing right now. Anything Peter Gabriel and Genesis is is up my alley these days. It's my new love. It's my new love. Oh, I gave right. up on, I, I gave up on uh, on uh, hair metal. Yeah. Are you guys into like Peter Gabriel and Genesis? Are you into too. that stuff or? Yeah, I I get into just about anything, but yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff you just you want to just crank up nice and loud, and just kind of you know muse out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I dig it. I, I dig it. I dig it all. Um, talk to me about the the sound on this album and going back to sort of the original lit because the last one, uh, these are the days. You went country rock. Uh, 
listen, I loved it. I thought it was a great album. I thought it was well done. Yeah. I'm not sure maybe the fan base reacted yeah. the, the same way all across the board. Um, talk to me first about, about that adventure of going country rock and then coming back and saying, okay, we're lit. Let's just be lit. Well, we were sitting on a batch of songs that we had written in Nashville and, you know, some maybe with other artists in mind and some just, we were kind of writing what we were feeling at the time. And we decided to, Hey, what would it sound like if we recorded these? And, um, and as we started to do them, we, we just loved how it sounded. And, you know, we kind of thought a lot of our friends and a lot of our fans that we have grown up with us were probably in similar situations and were listening to country too, and, but still loving rock and all this stuff. And we just kind of went for it, you know? And I think, um, right, right after we put it out, um, it was a little too late. Like you can't put toothpaste back in the tube, you know? Right. And it, I think we sort of realized quickly, like, ah, you know, our fans are so cool that they'll, they'll go there with us, but maybe we should have called it something else to give people right. separation. Um, but I also think it took us going that direction to realize to cut for, for taste like gold, to go back to our old school roots yeah, we, we we had to kind of leave home for a little bit to realize that we wanted to come back home, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's okay to be on the highway and taking some exits here and there, but eventually getting back onto the road at some point, you know? Right. Yeah. You're allowed to do that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put this to AJ. AJ, is that something that you would like to continue to pursue, but now knowing that maybe not brand it lit and just go, okay, this is the aj and and jeremy experience or whatever yeah. country extravaganza we actually did put out um after sort of coming to that realization we we put out a song as uh just pop off brothers right and so i think anything that's sort of has that approach or that infusion um in our music moving forward most likely it would be that um, but our focus completely shifted into the sort of modern rock land pop punk whatever you want to call it that existed back in the day and we and we are still in that mindset and um it, you know it just it did it helped a lot to like just sort of cleanse the palate and um we love we love country music we love we love a lot of different genres yeah. man we just we're just big music fans yeah my whole thing with the modern country these days is like everybody's trying to sound like Def Leppard did on Hysteria but nobody's doing it good I mean they're using the same drum samples and the guitars but like some of it's just crap yeah. yesterday we were talking right. to Pierre Bouvier from Simple Plan and we were just talking about how like how pop punk like from the late 90s early 2000s is so fucking cool again like it's cool to be in the genre you know so the fact that you guys are kind of getting back to that I, I, right. I think it's it's a bold move it, it is cool because a lot of these young you know new artists are sort of taking what they grew up listening to like the early like blink stuff and lit and you know good charlotte and simple plan and they're they're kind of taking a different approach to what they learned you know and picked up from that stuff they're adding some some you know hip-hop influences you know there's a little more yeah you know the 808 and all that kind of stuff being introduced but it still has that feel i think that's what the what in our new record you know we we got with these two other writers that we hit it off with and and just loved some of their production approach to to these songs that were you know that you know lit influenced them so they took it's, it's a good example of how when those two worlds come together you can make it fresh but still kind of a nod to what we were doing yeah you right. can make it fresh but still be familiar right 
the album is described as old school lit with modern day approach to uh, to production. What is the modern day approach to production? What 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 does that mean spe- specifically? Well, we you know uh, Carlo Colasaco and uh, Youth Year. We got together. We started writing these songs together. We started making some demos that um, we were really loving how they were sounding. And it's just these are guys that were that grew up on Lit, that were influenced and inspired by Lit. And then they got we got to turn the tables and be inspired by them, and kind of let them sort of uh, add like, "Hey, this is we grew up and loved your band, and this is kind of how we think." your band would sound today. Like, you know, it's sort of getting their perspective. And so it's, it's nothing, it's still less Pauls and Telecasters and Marshall amps and, um, and loud stuff, but um, there's just little, little textures and ear candy things and little tricks and little, you know, loopy things and, and stuff that is used more in modern day stuff than say 1999 stuff. You know? it's, yeah. There's some like, it's like music bed stuff, but there's also there, there are, you know, as much as we, we love you, you know, our live instruments and live drums and live guitars, but, but incorporating some program drums in the mix too. And it's not something that just started happening. A lot of people have been doing it for a long time, but for lit, it's a new, a newer approach, you know, yeah, having those, a, those textures. But you know what? The cool thing about that is like, it kind of allows you to experiment and just kind of do some different things that you're not used to. It kind of takes yeah. you out of your comfort zone. You never know what can come out of it. And there were times we had to, we had to reel them in sometimes too. I mean, mm-hmm. as, as awesome as, as those guys were and as happy as we are with the record, you know, you, you have this sort of toy box full of stuff and it's so easy to just keep pulling out stuff. And, that, yeah. you know, there were a couple of times we were like, whoa, 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 you know, we have to go on tour and play this shit, you know? So, <laughs> and you're like, fuck that. We're not taking out the Pro Tools rig or all these loops and shit. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> but we found a good balance, I think. Yeah. Is it well then? Let me, let me ask: Is Lit live when when Lit's live, or is there a little bit of of Pro Tool rig going on? Well, we don't have any we, Pro Tools. Um, we have we do have some tracks here and there, and it's usually it's mostly like percussion stuff or like the eight hundred eight drops or you know um, synthesizers and a little whatnot. thing that like you know we we had uh, Ryan Gilmore was in our band for a few years, and he was kind of the fifth guy, the utility guy. Now that it's back to the four piece, you know, there's a l- couple little bells and whistles here that that just sound cool. So we like to have them. Um, but it's yeah, for the most part, what you see is what you get. Yeah, which is the way it should be. Um, let me quickly ask you about your your output. the The first yeah. album comes out, uh, Tripping the Light, fantastic in '97, twenty fifth anniversary this year. But you've only had uh, you know seven or eight albums since then. Um, you averages out to about every five years. Why has there not been? Why are we not on that like album number twelve at this point? You sort of taken it a slow but steady approach to to album making. Yeah, there. I mean, there were things. There were like big things that happened in the band and certain family, you know, uh, right. you know, a- accidents and our drummer getting sick with his, with brain right. cancer and going through that with him. So there were a couple of things that definitely you know, put us on, on hold, put lit on the back burner while we handled like family stuff. And, right. um, even as Which a band, one? but, but aside from that, yeah, you're at the average does kind of, um, we're not like, we're not one of those bands that writes a shit ton of songs. Like we, when we're inspired and, you know, we usually 
take hold of that wave of inspiration and we usually write a record then but if we're not in that mode we don't force it you know so we're not we don't always feel like we need to be putting stuff out however this day and age it's a lot easier to just write a song and put it out you don't have to put out a full record but this time around we decided to make it a full length but you know we're not opposed to continuing the writing process or doing a collaboration with somebody and, and putting it out you know and giving the music away you know that's the way we do it now yeah you got a couple of great collaborations on the uh, new record by the way coming out on um uh geez, june 17th june 17th yeah round hill records tastes like gold you can pre-order now ever get your music you got no doubts adrian young in there you collaborate with butch walker american authors i mean awesome people like what was it like working with yeah. butch in the studio and what does he bring to the table man honestly i mean butch is we've been friends with butch for over 20 years shit 25 years yeah um he's you know a neighbor of mine now and, and um and it was around christmas time i just like the wives were out of town and I just rolled over there and we, we were just drinking wine and listening to music and just catching up. And I played him that song. And I was like, Hey man, you want to take the second verse on this? He was like, yeah, dude, I'd love to. And he, I just, we sent him the files and he woke up the next day and sang it in his studio and sent it off. And it was, it was just that one. Also Jason freeze from green days on it. And, um, couple of our old guitar, like Ryan Gilmore, who I mentioned, uh, he plays a little bit on it. And then the very first guitar player that we had when we were you know, in the late 80s, when we were called Razzle, uh, this kid, Sean Hall, I say kid, he's a 50-year-old teacher now, but he's, uh, <laughs> we let him play some on it too. Um, so Sean Holland. So it, that song was just a fun, like, come one, come all, let's all, you know, celebrate this car song. And uh, it came out pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's the way to do it. Um, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say something there, Jerry. No, uh, go ahead. Quickly, talk to me about the uh, songwriting process, because I know that uh, you and I, Jeremy, had, had spoken about uh, having, uh, you know, a member of, of, of one of these older bands work with you, and you couldn't do it because of COVID, and you couldn't get into the same room. And, and it w- there, talk to me about how you... you, you come up with songs and, and, and how important it is to be sort of in that physical presence and, and writing in the same room. It, it helps us a lot, man. It, Zoom writing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Why? We, we a couple, we, I mean, the song that we did with American authors, you know, one guy was in California, one guy was in Tennessee, but it was kind of in the middle of all the COVID stuff. There were a lot of artists that were pretty freaked out, you know, rightfully so, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that they were, but the, there were a lot of artists that shifted and just pivoted to Zoom rights only. We yeah. we didn't because we don't. We, it was it just felt very sterile and just you know there's there's a certain magic that happens in a room when you're with the guys and um, so a Zoom you know you could sit there in a, in a in a living room or a backyard by the pool or whatever and you could you could jam out for six or seven hours, um, but a Zoom right has like a hour hour and a half kind of shelf life before everybody starts going okay um let's move on you know so yeah um but yeah i mean you talk about jimbo um i was just talking about him a couple days ago with somebody if if, if he won't get his ass to nashville we'll go out to chicago and do it i hope he's doing in-person stuff now because that's a collaboration we really want to do but uh, yeah. It was too hard. Can, can we can we mention his name is that okay if we mention it yeah hell yeah one of the best songwriters ever 
Yeah, we're talking about Jim Peterick of of Survivor, of course, Eye of the Tiger. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeremy there said, I want to write with him someday. And I happen to know him, so I I hooked it up. And I think that that your vocal melody or or AJ's vocal melodies and the way you approach songs and his approach to songs is just a match made in heaven. It's sort of like top 40 radio right there. I mean, we've been stealing hooks from that guy since we were little kids. <laughs> all, his, all, all his 38 special songs and just yeah. this man, he's such Incredible. a beast. And I, I think we, I think you're right. I think he would be a killer collaborator and, and hopefully we can pull that off. It just, it just, it was difficult. It was early on in the pandemic and we were, we were just exchanging things over the phone and shooting things back and forth. And it just was a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. Plus it's pretty early on in the process, but um, right. Yeah, and plus, if you're writing with a new writer or a new guy, you sort of want to be in the same room, you know. Like if you and AJ wrote over Zoom, you, you know each other, your brothers, you you can figure it figure it out. But with a new guy, yeah, it's like kind of weird. You got to like wine and yeah. dine him first, or like there's definitely some uh, there's foreplay that goes with songwriting. You know, I think yeah. it's definitely like that. Sometimes it's it's an entire hang before you write anything. You're like, all right, what are you guys doing? You know, next week. And yeah. then you get back together and you write a song. But a lot of times it is just having some cocktails and, mm-hmm. you know, telling stories and you tell stories until something's like, dude, that that's actually a cool thing to write about. And then next thing you know, you're you're writing a song. But right. But yeah, the the uh, the courtship's huge. The hang the hang is the one of the most important parts. And then same goes, you know, for the road. Like you could have you have eight guys living on a 300 square foot tour bus. Right. For the yeah. for six, eight weeks or whatever. You could have the greatest guitar tech in the world, you know, or the greatest lighting guy in the world, whatever. But if they can't hang when you're rolling down the bus for 23 hours a day, then it doesn't matter how good they are. Same thing with you know a drummer or whatever. If they're uh, a prick, it just ruins everything. <laughs> just you really could be the that. best songwriter in the world. I mean, you could, you know, but if but if if there's if the vibe's not there and the and the hang isn't there, then it it, it becomes more laborious. You know, it's more of a job, and then yeah. You know, we've been trying not to have a job for these this many years, so <laughs> keep it up that way. Um, <laughs> right. I, I just want to go back to the uh, very beginning again. Like we said, uh, "Trip in the Light," fantastic. Twenty five years now. Mm. What was it like for you starting off as a band, or, or, or I mean, you started off earlier, but getting those because you know Nirvana had had sort of come and gone. The big hair eighties was totally over. Um, you look at Billboard and stuff from back in the day; it's all hip hop and rap and this and that. What was it like for you to say, okay, we're going to be a rock band in 1997? How did how did record companies deal with you? How did you approach it? Was it, hey, something new, or was it like, oh fuck, this is going to be an uphill battle? It's all we it's all we really knew, and we had already been like, right, in, consumed by our own little world that we had created. You know, in Anaheim, we had a warehouse that we write all our stuff and practice and. We were there like three or four nights a week. And when we weren't practicing, we were throwing parties there, keg parties to help pay the rent. Nice. Um, so we were like literally just, we had been going, going, going for probably 10 years, just right. playing local shows, uh, playing Hollywood and all that. And then, yeah, it wasn't until I think it just progressed and it just, we were ripe enough to start attracting, you know, the the suits and, and it just, that's when it started happening quick, but it was a long process and we just weren't distracted really by anything. Yeah. We were at the age as well, too. You know, those are those are pretty formative years, you know, early 20s. And we were lucky enough to taste the Sunset Strip 
in the late eighties when we were teenagers and then transition into all these new, this new music that was coming out. I mean, we, we absolutely loved, uh, Alice in Chains and Nirvana and, and, um, yeah, Stone Temple Pilots and, um, you know, and then, so we were influenced by that, you know, and it was okay to be influenced by that because we were young and, and impressionable and, and finding our way and learning about music. And then, you know, in that mid nineties, there was that wave of like the, the girl fronted stuff where there was like angst, but like sexy popness too, like you had Paul and Veruca Salt and, and yeah. all that stuff. And, and, and we were influenced by all that. And then it was like, Twain, oh, come on. Yeah. No Shania oh, Twain. Yeah. <laughs> Shania Twain. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's a yeah. lot of yeah. There's a lot of good like garbage. A lot of cool chick fronted bands. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. How do we Great. how do we leave them out? Right? Yeah. One of the one of the you got Adrian bands. on the on the on the record. <laughs> right. Right. I know. Yeah. And, and the swap. I mean, we were we were into all that stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, My Own Worst Enemy hits. How does that change everything for you? Because all of a sudden, you're not just the band that, you know, the little engine that could. Suddenly, you're, you're the shit. You're the band. How, how, how much of an impact did that have on everything? It was, I mean, it's huge impact on our lives. I mean, we literally went from, you know, zero to 100. And it was that, you know... 10 year overnight success that literally like it was insane it launched us and and then yeah the shows got bigger and our peers became you know our heroes became our peers and it was it was just off to the races it was an amazing transition held on tight <laughs> in a period of like three months we went from recording 120 minutes on vhs you know to be able to watch it that week to like being on it you know right. having that penfield interview us you know and, and we went from yeah. watching trl to being on trl and, and that was just crazy you know and then here we are 20 years later talking about that song because it or 23 years later or whatever because it's still all over the place you know and um what a wild what a wild ride you know definitely life-changing game-changing and super uh grateful yeah. there's a big song like that uh, I mean, it, it's obviously positive because it gets you in front of people, but does it also become a negative where record companies go, oh, yeah, it's great. You got some new songs. Where, where's the new uh, My Worst uh, Enemy thing? Yeah, could you, do you have a part two? Right. <laughs> you know, magic, magic like that happens. It's crazy. It's like it's that became more than a hit song for us. I and mean, we had other, you know, singles that were top five, top ten like, yeah. that did really well. Hey, hey, um, it's your cherry pie moment. But but yeah, it's 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 one of it's those. It's your pour some like, sugar on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a once in a lifetime kind of thing. I think Jeremy was saying, like the fact that it's yeah, I get my car to go to the grocery store and it's going to come on the radio usually on the on the rock station and it's you know it's on classic rock stations too and you know it's saying Jack FM's and all that but it's also still on the current modern rock radio stations and that's pretty pretty insane after you know a lot of a lot of these songs that we were talking about earlier like a lot of the songs go yeah. you have this big hit and then they go to the recurrent you know to the where are they now uh, file and, and we got lucky that it didn't happen that yeah, way yeah i mean uh, up here in canada it'll go from you know the rock alternative it'll go from uh tegan and sarah and then it'll go to lit <laughs> you know? yeah nice. crazy and, and by the way i'm predicting that uh, kicked off the plane from uh, the new album is going to be the next uh big song for lit that's the, that's the one you did that's, that one cool man that, that's your new my own worst enemy kicked off the plane wow. that's the one you know, it's funny, like, like lyrically, we really did take a pretty similar approach to 
because you know we're still getting in the same kind of trouble we were when we wrote my worst enemy it's just <laughs> we just have bigger consequences if we really take it too far <laughs> right right yeah it's that tmz article just waiting to drop <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to it yeah uh, uh, and then the last thing, you're going out with Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. I love Tuck. I mean, he he's just uh, he was in the Biters before. It was a great band. Uh, just just quickly talk to me about going going out with Tuck or having Tuck go out with you because he's he's the up and coming guy that's also been the the, the ten year one hit wonder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's in Nashville now. Um, all those guys are, and we actually just this last weekend wrapped up um, the shows with them. I think we. They're one of those bands we just we love hanging out with and we love watching them play and they're great guys and and, and yeah. friends from from the neighborhood too so we will we'll try and grab them on put them on any shows we can as long as they're available um and then we've got stuff coming up we've got uh, anaheim record release party coming up and um we've got blame my youth on that one and uh chad tepper and uh, we, and we just did this new this uh opening band contest that had like thousands of submit or votes and like over 50 bands submitted. So we're, we're, uh, it's going to be fun, man. And then, you know, we're going to go out in the fall. We're going to do some stuff with Hoobastank, some co-headlining stuff and bring out a couple of bands on that. And awesome. hopefully get up, get up there and, and do some, some cannabis shows. And yeah, man, yeah, be- I'm, ho- I'm hoping for it. I mean, listen, the, uh, the last tour I saw you on the uh, generation X with, uh, who was on the POD, Cherry. Uh, alien and Buck Cherry. And Alien right. Ant, man, that was what a tour that was. I mean, I know it probably uh, wasn't uh, the same tour from the fan perspective, but from my perspective, wow, what a yeah. great night that was. Let's do that again. You and yeah, Buck Cherry, yeah. right. those are all yeah. they're all you know, great dudes. We, we love getting up and playing with those guys. Yeah, uh, there you go. Uh, new album, A Taste Like Gold, June 17th. Uh, my Jeremy, any last uh, last words? <laughs> oh, uh, it's always just super fun catching up with you guys. I mean, uh, you're welcome back to the show anytime. You've, you've said it Appreciate all. it, man. Best Thanks, brother. Record. Uh, we yeah, listened yeah. to Thanks, a bit guys. of it, and uh, it sounds awesome. I mean, the productions, everything, the guitars, awesome. drums. I mean, what more do you want? It sounds great. Mm-hmm. And right uh, until you get the Jimbo to write with you, I think uh, Eye of the Tiger has to be your encore. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> It's a great intro tape, too, huh? Just got to. Perfect. Yes. That doesn't pump you up. There's something wrong. Now, back to the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. We are speaking with uh, the one and only George from the band Dishwalla. The new EP, Alive, is available now. And as we say here in Montreal, bonjour, George. Uh, comment allez-vous? How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to have you on, even though connecting has been <laughs> quite <laughs> quite an adventure today. But uh, Right. Uh, talk to me about the EP. You, you, instead of going out with a full length, you, you've decided to put out three songs. What was sort of the thinking behind that? Is it just was it uh, sort of a pandemic arrangement? Was it just like, hey, we got three songs, let's just let's just get them out. Um, talk to me about that. No, we we wanted to put new material out, and we have a lot more material. But I think we realized with Juniper Road, which is our uh, 2017 release, mm-hmm. that. Um, listeners aren't really they're not really uh full release listeners anymore right and so myself included and so you you get a release and you get to song five and you're like oh you know what i I feel like uh listening to something else now or you know and so you change modes where like like for me when wish came out from the cure i listened 
from beginning to end of the whole thing and looked at the album art and like wanted to feel a part of everything, you know? And, and now like people just, they did, they want a song they you know, and, and, uh, and no fault to them. Um, a band, a band gives you all of their ideas with a release. Right. They're like, here's the 12 photos we're looking at right now, you know? And, uh, but like, like any person in a slideshow, you get to the fifth slide and you're like, okay, that's cool. Can we do something else now? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, for me, having been there in the eighties, when CDs came out, I think part of it is when we went from like the half hour album, you know, the toys in the attic or, or the, the Led Zeppelin or whatever. And then all of a sudden we got to CDs and it was like, like we'll give you 19 songs. And I was like, really? That's, can, maybe not. And so after that, we, we went on, right? Yeah. We, we went on the other side. We just went, all right, we'll give you three. Uh, in terms <laughs> of, of musical style, uh, the songs are great. I've, I've had a chance to listen to them. Were you just trying to sort of recapture what the band was doing? Or did you sort of say to yourself, hey, listen, we're going to move the, uh, move the goalposts a bit here and try to, try to give the fans something different? I would love to say that there was a more calculated plan to what all does when they write. But the truth is we kind of get in a room and look at each other like, what the hell are we going to do? We've got to make a song right now. And then we just start playing. And um, sometimes, you know, one guy comes in and says, Hey, I've got three quarters of a uh, quarters of a song. And we go, okay, we can finish that. And then sometimes we're looking at each other, playing notes going, what are we doing right now? I don't know. Let's listen to the recording after practice. And, and, we, and we do that. We record all of our rehearsals because most of our greatness, like as far as like my opinion goes, this is my opinion, obviously, uh, comes from listening back to when we were just in a room together playing music. Right. Um, Stay Awake was that. Um, Alive, the, the new single is that. Right. There's so many Dishwalla songs that were um, just us playing and then let's have a lyrical idea. Let's let's put a you know a melody line uh, and a lyric uh, above this, um, while at the same time just sounding like us. You know. Uh, by the way, just just quickly talk to me about the name because what, going back to the '90s, I don't remember any names of any of those bands. I mean, they they sort of the '90s to me sort of just vanished into the ether, but Dishwalla stuck with me, and yeah. and and when uh, the publicist reached out and went Dishwalla, I went. Oh yeah, I like I them. Re- I like that. I remember that I- band. Um, and and you know the the old school days was like you got Kiss. It's you know one syllable. How, how did the band name come up, and where does that come from? And are you sort of glad that it worked out for because it's, it's a great well, name? Well, you you brought it up. Uh, the nineties uh, kind of revisited that one name thing with right. Bush, uh, Bush and Blur, and uh, and and these other names that were uh, just one 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 name. And so um, we had a horrible name. I won't even mention. Oh, come uh, on. What was it? What were you called? Like crazy squirrels squirrel. or something? <laughs> <laughs> so we had a name that just wasn't working. Right. And, um, and we were at a coffee house called uh, Santa Barbara Roasting Company to give them a plug. Yeah, um, and yeah. our, I'll our give keyboard- Alice Cooper a plug while we're at it, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, our, our keyboardist picked up a saucer. And he said, what about Dish? And we thought about it and we thought, you know, Dish has so many connotations. You know, you can dish on somebody. Somebody uh, attractive could be a dish. 
um, very old school, but you know, there, there were all these kind of connotations to dish. And so we were dish and we, we established ourselves and had a regional following and had a logo and had like a whole stickers and, you know, you like toured, you should have toured with sponge. It would have been perfect. Dish and sponge. <laughs> right. Well, most people think we're dishwasher anyway. So, 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 so where did the Walla come from? So the Walla came from India. Okay. And uh, our keyboardist at the time uh, was, uh, he read Wired Magazine. Right. Uh, uh, and, you know, just because he was a tech guy. And uh, he goes, hey, guys, um, we're looking for a new name, but we might just be able to add something to our name because there's these guys in India that buy satellites and then they pirate cable to all their neighbors. And in India, a walla is a smith, like a blacksmith or a stonesmith right. or they, they use walla as, you know, this is what you do kind of thing. And so a dish walla is a satellite cable pirate in India. So you're the satellite cable pilots. Um, I want to take you back to the early 90s, uh, past the name. What was that space like? Because we come out of the 80s with the big hair, you know, the hair metal and the warrants and, and the faster pussycats and all that. And that starts, of course, to wane. And then we've got a little bit of, of Metallica taking over. And then, of course, Nirvana comes in. What was the space like for Dishwala? Because your music is certainly not heavy metal. It's definitely not Nirvana. It's its own thing. And how did you sort of say, well, where do we fit in? And and how did the record company say, okay, well, you're rock, but you're not Nirvana. So what do we do? With what was it like for you? No, it, it, it was different because um, we got this opportunity to, we had to write the first two albums in the studio. Right. Because um, the first album had all these influences from, you know, we were dragging with us from the 80s, right? Right. And so uh, the producers uh, ended up, you know, the, you know, the band, the Crystal Method. Mm-hmm. They were the guys that produced our first uh, demos. Right. And they were the first ones to say, you guys are a band. Like, why are you doing all this, you know, kind of dated stuff? Why aren't you just writing as a band and being a rock band? And uh, and, and uh, from there, we, we ended up with the Butcher Brothers, which I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with, but mm-hmm. amazing production team. Uh, in Philadelphia, and they sent us to Philadelphia because we were too nice. As a side note, um, <laughs> and so so we uh, we went to Philadelphia, and to be honest, we probably had three songs finished, and the rest were just you know l- let's just see where this goes. And if you listen to the album, right. you've got only for so long, which is like this. It could have been like in the seventies, right? right? And you've got if, and you've got. Um, Counting Blue Cars, which was just out of nowhere. We didn't even know where that was coming from. Um, like all those those first record songs were as as kind of um, without an identity that the band has always had. Like you, we have this identity. We have the huge hit and blah, blah, blah. But when we go to make an album, we're like, let's just make this song sound good. What kind of song is it? You know, not we're going to write this and make sure it has that hook and make sure it has these parts. We, we kind of are almost like as surprised as anyone, <laughs> you know, like what's happening. Okay. I'll finish that. You know, um, with the success of counting, the song takes off. And of course you, you sort of realize your dreams. Then the band decides, well, we're just going to sort of give up and, and take a break. 
what got to that point where you just sort of went, yeah, we've accomplished our dreams. We did everything we wanted to do. We worked with all these great producers, but we're done. We got to walk away. Well, I think um, I took a hiatus from the band for a couple right. of years, as, as did the bass player. Right. Uh, but and so there were a couple of years of just like kind of continuing the brand. Right. And I don't, I don't think that felt right to everyone to just be the Counting Blue Cars brand. They wanted to be like, no, we're this, like, we're a band. Like, what's our next thing we're saying? And um, we didn't really get a chance to do that uh, until we were asked to come back and play a show with Matchbox 20 and the Wallflowers. And uh, it was kind of the first time the William Morris agency came and said, Hey, there's this nineties thing happening, you know? And it was, it was like the early two thousands. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't that retro <laughs> at that right. point. It was and, last uh, week. Right. And, uh, and so I got everyone back together and, um, and that's kind of what, what got us back to where we are now is, is uh, instead of just being focused on, you know, we're that band from the nineties, we got this, uh, we got reinvigorated. You know what I mean? We, we had a new, we have a new singer, uh, new, uh, his, since 2008, he's been a singer of Dishwalla longer than the other the singer. Was yeah. Yeah. Right. And then you'll still have a fan say, bring back the original member. Bring, 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 yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting because <laughs> we share fans. Right. And I, that's been very kind between the two artists is that, instead of being like, get off my fan page, he's allowed access to our, our fan pages on Facebook. We're allowed access to his, and there's an appreciation. You can't, you can't go back and say anything negative about either party as far as, you know, and we just wanted to continue on. And I wanted to respect him and say, Hey, I've been your friend since I was 13. You want to do your own thing. You should, you know, and then uh, we've been doing our own thing since we were 13 as a band. So we should too. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting when you see bands move on, there's always that one fan that, you know, you, you hear Iron Maiden fans go bring back Paul Deano and you go, it, it's been 40 years. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. Bring him back anyway. Um, the, 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 the sort of hot thing in the industry these days is selling off your catalog and selling off your rights and your publishing and so on and so forth. You did that in 2017 with uh, Abco Music. Talk to me about that deal and uh, what does that mean for you to, to sell the publishing and, and what do they do for you in return? So we didn't do the whole like... Um pay us for the rest of our lives sell off thing we right. did more like um own part of our publishing right uh and then make stuff happen and for for them they came to us like uh we have the rolling stones and john lennon and we don't have anyone from the 90s can we right. partner or something and we're like uh yeah <laughs> so their their thing with us is TV shows, movies, whatever syncs they can get, you know, for, for our songs. Um, I think, you know, for most people, it would be obvious that in the next 10 years, there's going to be a movie that County Bukars has to be yeah. that song for, you know, right. just like, a, you know, just like half of our catalog has been in, you know, 
you know, Story of Echoes and, and uh, what's that others? Uh, well, you've been like, in Empire Records, The Avengers, American Pie, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And Empire CIS. Records. Yeah. yeah. Empire Records is the one I'm most proud of because that's such a cult film. <laughs> and it's funny, as a musician, it's like, that one doesn't make me that much money, but it's so freaking cool. <laughs> It's the cool factor. So, 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 talk to me about this because before you mentioned brand, and and I've always said that brand is bigger than band. You look yes. at Foreigner, you look at Kiss, you look at all these bands that move and change their members. It doesn't matter if it says yeah. Kiss on the marquee, a fan showing up. If it says yeah. random guy, uh, so how important is it for you to work the brand and have these kind of deals and? And at some point, does it become more important than getting out on tour and making new albums and just saying, listen, we got sync rights, we got the Avengers, we got Empire Record. I, I don't need a full album. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think as players and musicians, we want to keep creating and writing. Right. And what that means for releases, I, I, I think that's changing for everyone. It's always going to be these EPs. Um, I think... Uh, really good material gets lost in full, full releases. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're, uh, we're always, we didn't pick up our instruments to be done ever. Right. And so, uh, we continue to play and write and record and impress each other and, uh, inspire each other and, uh, you know, uh, question each other. Right. <laughs> But but yeah. does does the writing and the playing and all that stuff in present does it change with with maybe thinking to yourself, hey man, I got this great song, but we can't use this word because then whatever Empire Records won't be able to use it. So so do you start thinking about where it might end up because it is hard to get it to the sort of casual fan these days. Yeah, we've we've never been a, a band to just throw an arbitrary f bomb into a song or. Right. Things so like for us it's not we don't really have to worry when we're writing uh, and for us our our, our biggest like our our uh, what allows us to do what we do is we called God a woman I mean that's as controversial as things can get you know so right. we don't we don't write to be controversial and that wasn't written to be controversial that song either uh, it was a story from a from a a kid who lived next door to one of the band members. Um, and so, yeah, no, we, 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 we're, we're just guys who, who like to play music together. <laughs> right. Which, yeah, sometimes we lose perspective on that. So in terms of the EP, is that something that you, because you said that you're, you know, you're probably going to release more EPs. Do you have sort of a plan of we'll do three songs for, for April and May, and then we'll do three songs for September and October and we'll do three. How do you sort of see it moving forward to get new music out then? Well, um, this last chunk of songs, the label came to us, gosh, I don't even know when, a while ago, I think pre-COVID even, and said, instead of doing a, a, a full release, can you guys just have a couple songs? And we went in the studio with Alan Parsons uh, because he has uh, this project he does where he brings people in uh, and they can be part of a, a production of a song. And so all of our focus was on this one song and, um, and it, it's fine. We love it. We all like it. But then as we were listening to what we were recording as demos during that time, we're like, Oh man, this song, Holy, like we love this song. And that was alive. Right. 
and so for for us and the label, I think it feels more um, more like we'll do these little releases and then maybe compile them at some point. But to be honest with you, it's not like a um, there's not a master plan. You know, there there was there was more of like a hey, do you guys have a something you put out on an EP? And we all called each other and said, "Hey, what can we put out on EP?" <laughs> you know, so so it's not it's not like we're sitting here going, "Okay, we're going to do these three songs the first quarter of the year, and then these three songs next quarter of the year, and by the end of the quarter we'll have twelve songs." You're not planning we'll- out your fiscal quarters. No, no. Right? Yes, we need. It's interesting, by the way, because another another artist, two other artists, have mentioned this to me. Sammy Hager has mentioned this, and also John Five. And John Five's plan was: I'll release a song a month on the whatever on the thirtieth of the month or whatever, and then Mm -hmm. I'll be in the news cycle once a month. And then when we get to the end of the year, I'll throw them together, and here you go. You can buy a CD or whatever. Um. Is that sort of the way to do it to keep your name out there? Is this sort of dribs and drabs, and then at the end say, "Hey, look, we got a whole pie for you." Well, I think for me, what I keep coming back to is that um, when you release it all at once, someone gets to the fifth song, and then they're done, right? And you've got seven more songs, right? And uh, because of the order they were put on the release. Uh, maybe they should have been put earlier. Maybe they should have been one of the first five, but now they're not. And now that person switches their, what they're listening to their attention. And so, yeah, the, it's the attention span and it's, it's not our fault. It's uh, you know, we're, we're a singles based society. Now we like our song. Like we didn't get to do that. Like uh, we, I'm sorry, I'm going to mention myself now in this 50 something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We had to buy an album and listen to the first side and then flip it over and decide if we wanted to listen to the second side. Right. Yeah, yeah, and if it was Holy. really good, then we were stoked. And if not, we wouldn't listen to the second side. You're right. You're right. So, you know, it's that it's kind of um, revisiting that B side of an album thing where uh, if you release everything, people are going to listen to half of what you release. Right. But if you release, Little, little chunks it's more like you know more like just the uh, yeah the, the the frosting or the listen I, I i'm a big fan of the 70s uh, ethos of i'll give you 28 minutes 10 songs i'm in i'm out thank you very much um just real quick you said that coming into your first record you were you were dragging your influences from the 80s with you so who were your influences i mean are we talking poison or are we talking the cure no, it was the cure, and it was Depeche Mode, Order, and um, a lot of computer-based. Uh, you know, there the, we had a computer playing bass for a long time, um, mm. recreating drum machine patterns instead of just writing my own parts. Um, and, uh, and and it was fine. We we were doing fine with that. But then the the producers that came in, the guys from the Crystal Method, and, and uh, the guys from the label came in and were like, "Your band is." a band like you should write as a band you should be identified and it was exciting for us you know it might not have been uh as exciting for jr because he had before that he had control over the mouse yeah, <laughs> yeah but everything. i mean you're the you're the drummer i mean are you are you actually bringing in a simmons kit and <laughs> doing it i mean well there were points where i was really yeah, where, 
uh, Roland. Yeah, oh, Roland wow. drums, and uh, and uh, we would bring in organic uh, cymbals because that made it sound more like a, a real drummer. But yeah, <laughs> that that was part of why I wasn't that interested in it. You were practicing to work with Mutt Lang, is what you were doing. It's like, all right, you, you just hit the cymbal, and I'll do everything else. Right. What's his name? Uh, Mo Mo Austin or whatever. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, so what is one of the greatest albums for you? Then is it the Depeche Mode stuff? Is it the uh, what's the one that you just go? Yeah, that's I want Dishwalla to have one of those. <sighs> so tough because it, it definitely wasn't Depeche Mode, and and that's a tough one because I uh, living in Santa Barbara, I became friends with Martin. His his kids uh, went to my music program both of them. Um, and so I had a personal relationship with him and it, it was one of those things where, um, because JR and I had playing together since we were 12 and 13 years old, I had to hate his bands, right? Of course. Of course. He had to hate the bands I was into and Metallica and Molly crew. And I had to hate Depeche Mode and New Order. And then all of a sudden, you can't, you can't hate Metallica. You can't, you can't, you can't. no, it's just wrong. Right. Just don't even put a guitar on or a, like, <laughs> Get out of here! But but, uh, but I, I I came to appreciate, and then especially when I realized that Martin wrote everything for Depeche Mode, really started to appreciate Depeche Mode. Um, but yeah, we we had a, a very different, um, and I think that was a good thing. Like I like this, and I hate that. Okay, let's try and make it fit. You know. Now that you've gotten, uh, what are we talking here, 30 years down the road and you've established the band, we know what your sound is, we know what Alive is, we know what Justin Fox can do, we know all this stuff. Can you go out and experiment and make one of your own albums and just say, listen, fans, we're gonna, you're going to get a Depeche Mode sounding thing or you're going to get a Motley Crue sounding thing. Can, can, do you have that sort of permission now to make whatever album you want or do you sort of have to forever be Dishwalla? No, we, we, we have uh, good or bad taken that permission from the first album right. where I was telling you, we went in and we didn't know what we were, what we were making, but we had, you know, how many years to, to kind of, uh, kind of uh, simmer these ideas. And then we make this album like, oh, should we be rock? Should we do this? Um, and then the second album, we didn't have any time to simmer the ideas. We spent the whole time on the road. And so then we're in the studio going, okay, just play something and I'll play something and you sing something. And and that's kind of been what I think of the quality of Dishwalla is that we don't have a sound and we don't have a, we're an Americana band or we're a you know synth band or we're, a, we'll write and, pl and finish whatever. Whatever. Yeah. See, and and I love that there are some bands or some artists, your, your Madonnas, your U2s, your Peter Gabriels, they can go and do whatever they want. And the fans are like, we're with you. And then you have other yeah. bands like ACDC. If they tried that, they'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> back, back, go. Uh, let me finish with this. The uh, the 80s and, 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 and the bands from the 80s, there's a lot of them still touring. There's a lot of them doing stadium tours, a lot of them doing arenas. I don't see the same thing with a lot of the 90s bands. Is my perception wrong? And if it's not, why do you think we don't have a giant soul asylum stadium tour? Why do you think that that music sort of sort of took a back seat? And, and 
uh, am I overstepping my bounds? Am I completely wrong about that? And no, you're not. You're not. I, I think there was a hugeness of the '90s, right? Like the Nirvanas and the Soundgardens and the Rage Against the Machines, and correct? Like, like undeniable hugeness of band, right? And so they get that that space a lot more. Right. Um, but then uh, most of the shows we're playing, ironically, that you mentioned, are uh, with Soul Asylum. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and Collective Soul. And uh, and so there will always um, there will always be that space for us. Right. Um, but you're right. There were there were so many recognizable, like off the charts, Green Day, like, come on, like these bands from the nineties were were uh, you know, they shattered records. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they weren't just putting songs out, they were changing things. Yeah, listen, you know? Green Day. Green Day is one of those those great ones. I don't know if Papa Roach got their start in the in the nineties, but they're certainly huge. I love Buck Cherry. I mean, just there's a lot of great yeah. rock from from that era. It's just it's just strange having lived through it all. We got to this point where they went, oh, Nirvana destroyed everything, and then we look at twenty twenty two and we go, that's Def Leppard in a stadium. They didn't fucking destroy anything. So calm <laughs> yourself. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> uh anyway uh new album or the new ep alive out now and uh as we say in montreal uh, merci this has been an absolute pleasure uh, <laughs> thank you technical wizardry uh, uh right. part but we got it done now back to the mitch lafon and jeremy white show we are speaking with uh, the one and only art alexakis of everclear the 30th anniversary uh, tour with fastball and the nixons is underway and of course, the 30th anniversary re-release of World of Noise with a whole bunch of uh, bonus tracks. And as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Art. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Wow. That, that, I'm wonderful, especially now that you speak all that sexy French to me. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, by the way, when was the last time you were in Montreal? Uh, you know, I mean, back in the day when we were breaking and we were on music yeah. All the time. Do they still have music blues? No. Nope. <laughs> All gone. All gone. Oop, I can't hear you. Oh. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Do they still have much music anymore as well? Much music is still around, and actually, much music has uh, morphed into like six different channels. They have uh, much loud, much retro, much uh, country, I think. But a whole oh, wow. bunch, yeah, which is kind of cool because uh, for a fan like me, you, you sit around on a Thursday night and you watch White Snake videos and you go, "Damn, welcome back to 1987. It's beautiful. <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it's terrific. That's a lot of hair, dude. That's a lot of hair in those bands. I, I've never even liked women with that much hair. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. Um, so let's get into this world of uh, this world of noise uh, uh, re-release. Uh, the The story on the album, of course, is that it was recorded for four hundred bucks. That's sort of the the infamous story that is told. Um, four hundred bucks. Wait a minute. Four hundred bucks in trade. Four hundred bucks in what? Trade. I traded a. Oh, you bartered. Re- well, not really. Yeah, I kind of. I guess yeah. you call it part. Great. It was just like I met the guy, saw the studio. It was ten bucks an hour, and I said, 
I have uh, some effects that are in really good shape. There's a reverb unit and a digital delay because I could use those. He goes, bring them over. I brought them over. I went home, got them, brought them over. He said, I'll give you $400 to trade for it. I said, okay. And I, we, that's 40 hours of recording. I'm like, okay, I can record every song we got. Wow. So, so, so let me, let me talk to you quickly about that because it was done. I mean, you know, back in the day, budgets were, you know, 500,000, a million, two million. I mean, you know, records were expensive. For, for doing it so inexpensively, did you have to sacrifice sound or quality or technique or did you just sort of just go in there and catch a vibe? Well, yes and yes and yes. You know, I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I wasn't at a place to have a big recording budget. And to be honest with you, most major label recording budgets at that time were anywhere between $75,000 uh, $200,000. That was more. Right. For a really big band that had, you know, the wherewithal and the leverage to do it, they could go higher than that. There, there was half a million dollars. Well, I mean, if you were Def Leppard or Celine Dion, you were spending two million bucks on a record, you know? <laughs> You were spending you were spending a half million dollars just on dinner, right. you know. I mean, I mean, there's some of those recording budgets for crazy, especially when you talk about Def insane. But that being said, I had produced records myself, on, and I just really wanted to document where the band was at that time because I knew where we were live, and we were, we were just kind of stuck and not. Building up a following, we've been going for about eight months. I had a new baby at home. I'm still on welfare. It was just a rough, angry time. Right. And, uh, I wanted to see if this band was the band. But in my because if it wasn't, I was get rid of those guys and get new guys. And I wanted to see if there was something, if there was any magic, you know, if the proof was in the pudding. And when we recorded, yeah, it was low, lo-fi. And the people since, you know, are like, oh, man, I love that lo-fi sound you went for. It. You didn't go for a lo-fi sound. That's all we could afford, man. <laughs> you could afford. We were cool. But people thought we were cool, which I'll take the panache, right? But <laughs> at the same time, I couldn't afford to put new uh, tubes in my amp. So my amp kept overheating. That's why there's all the squealing on it. And... <laughs> I, I'd literally, I swear to God, man, I'd have to like start a take, stop halfway, and put a bag of ice. It's a really bad idea if you think about it. Wrapped in a towel on top of the, the ant to cool it off for like 10, 15 minutes. And then I, I retake the take or start in the middle of the take to, to play the guitar part because it kept blue lights from blue, like lightning like lights were shooting out of it. It was. <laughs> It was insane, man. You know, and, and we had to do this because we're all working. I had to do, we had to do it every work at night, you know, after work. It was like going to a college class or something. And, you know, it's like it took us about two weeks to do it after wow. work, 40 hours. Well, but, listen. Well, I was, I was grateful to have it because to have that, to be able to see what we had. Once we recorded it, even before it was mixed, I'm like, yeah, there's something. There's something there. Listen, and the, and the good pro, the, the good part about doing it for 400 bucks, your recoupment costs very low, very low. 
man, dollar. I, I've made so much money on that. If you think about it, I mean, I think it sold like about a before with this re-release about 125, 130,000 copies. Wow! If you think about that, dude, the the the, the profit to you know the risk versus reward is huge. Right. And, and, but but I'd say the profit margin was out of this world. So, um, you know, all that stuff aside, and I just, we I joke about all that. It just it gave us a tool to show people who we were. Right. That what we sound like. We were we were it was not gussied up, it was not prettied up. It, that that's what you got. And uh I like that. I like the honesty there. I think that same bed of honesty has permeated all of its and our performances. Since you know, then, right? Since then. We don't we don't play with like today, just to jump ahead, bands, a lot of bands even new bands, old bands, play with what they call recorded tracks, which is really cheating. So they like they have guitar parts, keyboard parts, background <laughs> vocal parts, and even a lot of bands use lead vocal parts that they sing to, and the guy mixes in the the recorded track with it. It's cheating. We don't uh, do listen. It. There, there is a famous band from the seventies that is out there, and I, I love this story because uh, the, their drum tech was telling me about it. They recorded three versions of every song in a studio in L.A., and they will use the different versions per night so that the internet YouTubers can't figure out that it's been recorded. They switch it up. Oops. <laughs> You know, it might be a little before your time, but back in the late seventies, and I don't know what band you're talking about. But Listen, back I, I saw my first show in the seventies. I'm old. How old are you? Fifty-four. Okay, well you're not that old. I'm well, sixty, so well, you're you're a pup. Kid brother. But, but, yeah, you would be, and I, I I I beat up you know I beat up the boys for you for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, but there was. ELO, one of my favorite bands. They were great. I didn't like them that much at the time because they weren't hard enough. But going back, I love I love Jeff and I love the band. Yeah. Do you? Um, do you is a great song. Do you? Do you want my a, love? I, I even like Telephone Line. I like the pop stuff. But the thing is, they perform like on this huge tour. I forget what album it was on. Uh, New World Record, it might have been. But they used a lot of recorded stuff and. You know, even then, people were like, really? Is that okay? Is that okay? That's not okay. And they got a big, it was a big deal about it. Now everybody and their brothers using recorded stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I do the Summerland tour, and I would say 80% of those bands use tracks. One of the exciting things about the 30th anniversary tour with the Pistons and uh, Fastball, our good friends with Fastball, they, uh, None of these bands use tracks. Don't use tracks. Wow. Uh, well, what you well, well let me ask you about that because if there's a band that should be using tracks, it probably should be you. I mean, you you have uh, multiple sclerosis. It's got to be difficult on your vocals. It's got to be difficult on your stamina. So if you were to use them, I'd say, hey. <laughs> I get it. At least he's out, but you don't. Uh, so, but so it's not a performance. But it's not a performance. It's not a performance. No, but uh, but I mean, if you're selling it as a hey, come see Everclear live in a pseudo performance, 
Right. Sure. Uh, or a partial performance, you know, um, but it's not a performance. So yeah, some, some nights my voice is giving as good as possible. I'm having some uh, some audio issues. You're crackling. That's just that's just my. That's just my personality. <laughs> By the way, uh, just just real quick, if you've noticed in the last, since the seventies, we don't call them concerts anymore. We go to shows now, right? So it's it's a show. It's not a concert. They changed the word. That's a good point. That's a good point, and that's kind of creepy. That's a good point. Older people go, "Oh, I went to a concert." Right? That's right. Like, God, that sounds so fancy. Yeah, not, it's not a concert anymore. It's a show, and you're getting a show, even with the pre-record. It's a show. You got the the, the pyro, and you got the. It's a show. It's it's yeah, Vegas. Not, it's it's the pyro, but I mean, you know, it, yeah, okay, it is Vegas, and it is, and you know, Vegas is nothing but a West Coast uh, mobbed up version of, of Broadway, right? Right. So I mean, that's. I mean, it all comes down to show tunes, which I have never been. A and my youngest daughter, who I love more than life itself, true story, is a huge fan of show tunes. Right. Hey, listen, I'm just waiting for Kiss to win a Tony Award. I mean... <laughs> oh, but have you seen... Have you seen... Were you a Kiss fan at all in the 70s? Of course. My first show was Kiss in 1979. Of course. Uh, dude, I saw that tour. Dynasty. Um, we, oh, no, I didn't see that tour. That was happening. I saw the tour... I saw him in 78. 78, uh, Rock and Roll Over? Uh, no, no. I saw him. Uh, well, it was Rock and Roll Over, but it was when they recorded at the Phantom of the Park for the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, Phantom. yeah. In Anaheim. Yeah. No, no. It wasn't in Anaheim. It was in... Uh, Ma- Magic Mountain. Magic that- Mountain. Magic Isn't Mountain. It? It's not Anaheim. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. I'm a Canadian. I'm, I'm a Californian. <laughs> We can talk hockey. I'll, I'll, I can tell you about that. I don't know where, no, don't know where Magic Mountain is. <laughs> I don't know about hockey. In California, kids who played hockey were rich white kids, and right. I was, I was kind, of, I was white, I guess, but I wasn't rich. You, you weren't rich. Um, no, let me really let me quickly cool. ask you about the uh, the world of noise because the, the band since then has changed. Uh, it's you're the only sort of original, or you're, you're the only member from that lineup. It's always been my band, so it's been my project. Always. But, but so let me ask you this: A couple of years ago, you released Sun Songs. How is Everclear different than Sun Songs, or what Al, or what you're doing alone? Is it just a branding thing, or is there a musical difference? Well, I with Everclear, I use other musicians and what they bring to the table and what they play. Right. You know, I, I tell, I push them in the direction I want them to be, but I want them to utilize whatever is special about what they play. And every member that's ever been in, ever that I've recorded with, has brought something to the table that has added in a different flavor to ever play, even though it was my production, all my songs, you know, on my direction. Now, on Sun Songs, it was just me. Right. I'm the only one who played on it. There was no other musicians. Right. So, yeah, I think it is different. Is it similar? Of course it is. Right. But it, it's, it's different because I suck as a drummer. 
<laughs> so, yeah. well, listen, Brian Adams is doing his own stuff now, and he's anyway. But let me let me ask you then, the, then the importance of branding, because when you put art on a marquee, you get a certain amount of fans, and when you put Everclear on a marquee, you get a whole different level of fans. And that's not an insult; that's just that's what it is. It's like when you put Coke on a bottle as opposed to this is brown water on a bottle. I mean, you know, not that you're brown uh, water. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean that. <laughs> We're gonna have to. So we're gonna have to meet, meet at the bike racks after school and talk about that. Uh, we we'll call it brown water. Um, no, you know, I mean. you know what? I, you know what we call that? We call that the power of the E. Right. The power of the Everclear. Dude, I get it. And you know what? I have no problems with that. You know why? Because I earned it. We. Right. I earned it with the, 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 the all the guys that been in the band, but I have persevered and soldiered. And created a legacy of that name and that brand, Everclear. I'm very proud of it. It's my life's work. It, it is. It's my life's work. And Thirty years. It, yeah, I'm very proud of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was telling that to a guy in another band who had a couple of hits, and he had a falling out with the other guy. He goes, "I'm just going to do my name project," and I go, "Okay, you're going to go from." 2,000 seaters to 400 seaters really quick. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> he did. And he comes back to that. I go, you go to that guy and you figure it out. You sit down in a room full of lawyers and figure it out. And they did. They spent like two 12-hour days with their lawyers and they came out of it. Now they're touring again. They've been booked all summer and fall into See? 2000 I'm telling you, there's there's brand and band. There's, of course, there is, man, because that band is what people know. You go, Art Alexakis. There's a lot of people behind these go, oh, or you say Art Alexis. Oh, you know, they know that. That's what I said the first time we did this. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and I and I very kindly, gently corrected you. Yes, and I got it right this time. Well, close, yeah. but better. But I tried. It's but it's like there. Kiss, you know, Kiss, Kiss is on a marquee, it's an arena. Paul Stanley has done solo tours, and, and you know, it's, it's 1,500 well, people. Nah, no, it's more than that. It's more than that, but it's still not pretty. I mean, and and think about Kiss, they could put that makeup on anybody. <laughs> and he has even said that, oh, no, I'm going to, you know. He wanted to just get a band of young guys, go out, really good players, and do kids, make them up, and not even be there. I mean, that's, that's genius said that in, in interviews over and over and over again. And Paul Stanley, have you seen his Folgers commercial? Yes. <laughs> it's the greatest. It's the greatest. It's the best. But I mean, everybody rags on Kiss for saying that there'll be a Kiss 2.0, but the Village people have done it. Casey and the Sunshine Band has done it. Uh, 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 Foreigner does it. I mean... Casey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, Casey's still there, but the rest of the band is. Or Flock of Seagulls, or, you know, a lot of them have... They're down to, like, no... Isn't isn't Flock of Seagulls have have the one guy in it? Yeah, Mike, it's got... Okay, so one guy, but... Okay, Foreigner. That's true. That's very true. But uh, those songs are great, man. I mean, that's what you're selling is the legacy of those songs, Mick Jones' songs. So when you look at it like that, and I've always said that, you can't replace the singer. You can't replace the singer. Well, I've been proven wrong. 
I mean, uh, look at Alice in Chains. They replaced the singer, yep. and they're still doing huge bands um, and, and great business. and still making great music, um, but they're the anomaly. You know, they're one of the anomalies. Well, Foreigner's doing great. I mean, Foreigner's doing great. I mean, the last time I saw Foreigner, yeah. there wasn't a single original member, and it was the greatest show of that, of that year. Yeah, and they were, it was fun. Show. 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 Not a concert. It's, 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 no, it's become, it's become <laughs> like, you know, it, it's a show. It's like, come see the music of Foreigner. They're not Foreigner. Um, Alice James, aside from the singer, is still Jerry Cantrell and Mike Inez. You know, I mean, so, yeah, and that singer's great. Oh. I mean, that band, and he's great. Will's great, and it's but the uh, the foreigner thing. You know, my wife went and saw something that the foreigner was playing, and she's like, "Oh my god!" I thought they were going to be boring. They were great. I go, "Those songs, man. Those songs were great." And Mick is still he, he can't tour with them anymore because he's sick. Right, but he he still is controlling it and he's still directing it. And you know what? I used to judge about what people did and stuff like that. You know, judge it. If it if you shouldn't. You go to the show, and if you like it, you like it, and if you don't, you don't. I mean, that's that's it. So what? That's it. That is one hundred percent. If people enjoy it and it gives them joy, done. Win. It's a big win. What's what's the yeah, legacy for Everclear? I, just real quick, because <laughs> the, the the legacy for Foreigner is the songs. Whether it's uh, Kelly Hansen or Lou Graham singing "Urgent," it sounds. So, so what's the legacy for for Everclear? Is it AM radio? Is it is, is it? Yeah. It's got to be Father Minor. It's. I mean, I think there's multiple songs. I think it depends on who you talk to. I think Santa Monica. You know, for a lot of people, it's the end all deal. It's where it started. Uh, Father of mine, for a lot of people, wonderful. A lot of people go deeper in, in songs like Learning How to Smile and Summerland and, and uh, Strawberry and songs like uh, uh, I'll Buy You a New Life. You know, I mean, it depends on you ask. And I think that's great. I don't think it's just one song because we've had five, you know, number one songs at Alternative. We haven't crossed over the pop. Um, for a rock band, that's that's pretty good legacy, man. Yeah, and too bad I don't own my too bad I don't own my publishing, man. <laughs> Would have to work so hard. Did, did you sell oh, your God. publishing to one of those companies, or or you just you made I, a bad no, deal? I lost. I lost. I no, no, I didn't make <clears> that deal. I, I I had a I went to a bankruptcy because I had problems with my business manager management at the time. Ah, that's too bad. Oh. oh. Well, I don't I don't I don't get any of the hits. I don't get the hits. Yeah. And, and right now with the ninety second one on dude, I'd be rolling. I'd be rolling right now. But uh, you know, I mean, do I regret that? Do I regret some of those choices? Yeah, some of them. But to be honest with you, and I say this in all seriousness, I would not be where I'm at if I hadn't made those mistakes, if I hadn't made questionable choices. 
Well, listen, you're in a good place right now. Yeah. Great. I got MS, so what? I got a family that loves me. I've had a great relationship with my wife. 18 years of going strong. Great kids. My my uh, my band are, are wonderful friends. I have really strong friends. I have a really strong sober community and fellowship right now. My sobriety's never been better. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm rolling. You're rolling. In the back of the truck, I'm 60 years old. I'm back of four bus. And, and, and just, I'm on tour, playing rock and roll at 60. Yeah, listen, I'm 50, like, sitting on a rooftop. Like, no. I, see, I got none. I got none. Like, let me, yeah, let me ask one. you one. I get, uh, I get a little bit. Of... <laughs> a little bit. Let me ask you one thing. Um, when you discovered that you had MS, the story is that your arm was tingling and it was hurt, whatever. It had gone numb. Um no, how did they determine true. that it was that? Because you know, I've got this 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 numb leg, and they just uh, give me epidurals every three months, and it's just like, well, why have they not checked me for something else? You're like, how, how did they? Okay, okay, all right. So that I've never said that. I uh, I, I think you got that someone else. I well, I read it on People magazine. This is what happened? I got it. Oh, yeah. There you go. Top um, research, top research, right that's there. Incredible. <laughs> um, I uh, Jesus is going to. You're breaking up there for a second. Oh no! Can you hear me now? Yes. There you go. How about now? Yep. Hello. Yep. Yeah. I think we're going through a rough patch here. Anyway, um, so. I got into a car accident. My brakes were wet from rain and slid in the back of the car. No one got hurt. Totaled my car. Uh, about two weeks later, I started getting a, a twinge in the back in my neck, right? From And I called my doctor, my uh, orthopedic surgeon, and he's like, you know what? It's probably a pinched nerve in your neck. Go get an MRI and uh, I'll figure out what it is and I'll get an epidural. Right, and I do it, and I go see him. And I had had issues with with nerves and stuff before. You know, just I had back issues. I had uh, uh, spinal spinal fusion problem. Right. But anyways, so I go in there like I always do. I walk into this little room that's about the size of this back lounge here in my bus, and there's six dudes in there with coats, white coats, clipboards. And when I walk in, they all stop talking. They just like look at me. I'm like, oh, man, uh -oh. I don't know what this is, but this ain't good. This is not good. And they told me that um, when they did the MRI, yes, I did have a pinched nerve, but um, they also saw lesions on my spine and, and brain. And wow. that uh, they believe there was two neurologists there, and they looked at it. Wow. And I went and saw two uh, other neurologists, and uh, they both came up with something like Wow. So there you go. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't taking my arm. It was just, it, it was there. I had been for the last five years before it. 
I had felt it getting accidentally when I felt it getting worse. I thought it was just getting old. And I right. thought that maybe my balance issues were just because I had lived a really hard life in my 20s, you know, and up to my teens and 20s and 30s and sort of traveling and everything. But uh, they, one of the things, both of the neurologists that, that put me through all the tests, the spinal taps, which were miserable, um, was that they think I had had it for 15 to 20 years. Wow. The, the lesions looked older. And they had there hadn't been any growth or any shrinkage, uh, so they thought that the event that happened was at least fifteen to twenty years, maybe more. Wow! But since then, since then, I, they put me on a medication and I did really well for a couple of years, and then I got COVID in twenty one January, and it it was miserable. It almost killed me. I was in the hospital for two weeks. In bed for three, two, two and a half months. Good God! And, and they, uh, it, it progressed. It progressed my uh, AMS. The lesions got bigger. I it added three more lesions. The good news is I'm on a new medication. I've been on for about six or seven months. New protocol, and the all the inflammation's gone. And a lot of the, the lesions have all of them tightened up and a lot of shrink, shrunk. So, wow. yeah, you know, it's not going to go away, but I'm out here doing it. I'm doing physical therapy and you want everything I have to do. But I got to tell you something, and this isn't a homework card type explanation. I'm grateful for my MS. I really am. I'm grateful because it has shown me my real friends are who's shown me uh, what is really important in my life and uh, it has really solidified my priorities but that, it's giving you focus well, I've always had focus and tenacity or refocused I, I would say it's given me just I just feel solid in my choices so yeah i guess that's a form of focus but i just feel like man everything i've done to get here good or bad i'm grateful for it i thank god for it and i'm here and i'm just moving forward in college again getting my psychology degree i got master of life went through two years of master of life coaching courses working with people in the industry uh as a coach for creatives and uh I want to do that, do the band as long as I can. Wow. Just, uh, I'll finish on this because we're running out of time, but what psychology? I did a master's of educational psychology. Oh, you did? Wow. Yes. Yes. Oh. yes. Has oh, that helped um, you in your job, do you think? Of course, because uh, asking questions, you, 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 know, you, have to, you have to have a certain depth and a certain perception and a certain Absolutely. understanding of what question to ask next. And uh, I See, did. I, I, I studied perceived self-efficacy. So, whoa. you know. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I was giving you a little softball question there because I, I knew that through what you do for a talk show, I mean, you are a psychologist. You are all those things. You get the best and the most and the real stuff out of the people that you talk to. You're very good at it. Um, 
I, my psychology is just, um, I just, I promised my mother, I never finished, I got my A in journalism back in the 80s, and then I had to make a choice between school, chasing women, playing in bands, and drinking, and it, the school wasn't even going to come close to the other one. So school's uh, finishing fourth in that race. <laughs> don't you, am, I that, am I that much of an outlier? I mean, most guys would be like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. My mom didn't enjoy that, but before she passed, I promised my mom that I would go and get my four years And uh, I'm about a year and a half away. Wow. Well, hopefully you'll you'll get it, and then we can uh, compare diplomas when <laughs> you get to Montreal. A master's. I'm not going. I'm too old. If I was in my fifties, if I was fifties, I'd go. Yeah. There you go. Oh, our our audio seems to have kicked out again. There on, on that uh, art, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. A great pleasure. And uh, the, I think the last time I saw you was on. Uh, the songs for American, vol- I think it was the AM radio tour, so 2002, 2000. Songs from American Movie Volume 1. Yes. yes, that yes, yes. I think that was the last time we played there. Yeah. So we're going to have to change that. Uh, but there we go. Merci bien. Always a pleasure. Enjoy. Uh, have, a, have a great tour, and uh, hopefully I'll get to catch it. I hope you do. Thank you. Thanks Cheers. for your time, man. Always great talking to you. An all-new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.